Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. Alhamdulillah wa salatu wassalam ala Rasulillah wa ala alihi wa sahbihi wa man wala nawina ta'alum wa ta'alim wa tazakur wa talkir wa nafa wa intifa' wa al-ifada wa al-istifada wa al-hath ala tamasuki bi kitabillah wa sunnat rasulihi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam wa du'a ila al-huda wa dalala ala al-khair ibtigha'a wa tillahi ta'ala wa maldatihi wa kurbi thawabi subhanahu wa ta'ala alhamdulillah وما علمه الله من صالح أن نسأل الله أن يجعلنا من العلماء الآمنين الفائزين بإن من يقين وعين اليقين وحق اليقين ويرزقنا كمال متابعة لسيد المرسلين. So we are proceeding through this very blessed work, رياضة الصبيان, translated as educating children, and we are roughly on page seventy-five. Which includes a cluster of lines of poetry beginning with what we left off with last time, which is a discussion of rifq. And rifq is a very important trait of character that we translate as gentleness. And the author says, وَالرِفْقُ فِي كُلِّ الْأُمُورِ أَحْسَنُ قَالُوا بِذَا وَسَرَّهُ أَوْ بَيَّنُ And gentleness in all matters is best. That is what the scholars say, emphasize and explain. And this relates to a hadith of the Prophet ﷺ who indicated to us, Never will gentleness be a part of something except that it will adorn it, except that that thing will be beautiful. And there is a, this is a trait some people have naturally and other people don't. And some people have it from at certain times, but they don't have it at others. And this is something that we, we really have to learn. Rifq is really, really key. And in general, in the context of raising children, and not just in the context of raising children, anything that you do, whether you're building an organization, whether you are starting your own business, whether you are project managing something, whatever it is that you're doing, rifq is really, really key. Gentleness is really important. And there are very few people that can tolerate directness, straightforwardness, and that strong talk. The vast majority of people, if you speak to them in that way, you'll break the relationship. And you might not be able to salvage it after that. Whereas rifq is gently trying to do things in a way that is pleasing to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and they become adorned through that. So we discussed that last time and we're not going to go into any more detail there. We're going to move on insha'Allah to the following line and this is line number 46. So if we want to remind ourselves this poem has 110 lines and so we are approaching the halfway point and we'll be closer to the halfway point after this lesson, bi'ithnillahi ta'ala. And the author now goes on to say, وَبَعْدَمَا يُشْرِكُوا نُورُ الْعَقْلِ عَلَى السَّبِي يُؤْمَرُوا أَنْ يُسَلِّي And when the light of intellect appears upon the child, he should be commanded to pray. وَلْيَلْتَزِمْ فِعْلَ الْكِرَامِ الْأَوْلِيَاءَ الْمُتَّقِينَ الصَّالِحِينَ الْأَصْفِيَاءَ and he should adhere to the acts of the noble ones, the saints, the righteous, doers of good, the pure ones. 
ويعتمد جلوسه بينهم حتى يوافق طبعه طبعهم. And he should definitely sit among them so that his nature becomes like theirs. وَلْيَنْغَرِسْ بِقَلْبِهِ مَا يَسْتَمِعْ وَيَنْطَبِعْ فِي قَلْبِهِ مَا يَنْطَبِعْ And he should firmly plant in his heart that which he hears and what he follows. He will follow with his heart. So this is what we will start with today in discussing. And this is an additional reference into this new stage upon the child. And when it comes to the sacred law, it considers age seven, because this comes directly from a hadith of our Prophet ﷺ. Once they reach age seven, this is a new stage. This is roughly around the times that we mentioned before, what was called the Sunnah Tamiz. And remember we said Tamiz means discrimination. That children now have the ability to discriminate between different types of things. They mentioned the simple example of something that's really hot as opposed to something that's cold. They are aware of certain dangers. They are becoming more independent. They can eat by themselves. They can clean themselves. Things of this nature. And this is a new stage because now they're ready to receive more instruction at this stage. And this is why from the beauty of the sacred law, we have etiquettes that begin long before children even come into the world. Etiquettes that if we really want to raise children correctly, we should consider. And the vast majority of people don't. However, that all throughout the process, from before, from the time that the child's in the womb, from the time that they're young, and all throughout their lives, we have etiquettes that are there in order to help raise good, healthy children. And even when your child becomes full-grown, even when they become uh, mature, even when they get married and have their own children, and even maybe when they become grandfathers, if the parents are still alive, tarbiyah continues until the day that we meet Allah Jalla Jalalu. And one of the primary ways, even at that stage that it continues, is through dua. This is one of the single most effective things of all, is for a parent to make dua constantly for their children. And we should be very careful and never, ever, ever make dua against our children, no matter how angry we are. And we should be careful that we have slips of the tongue, that we say things, because you might, your tongue might slip, and it's gone. You can't get it back. You uttered it, and it's gone. You can't get it back. Right? If you say something to them like, we billah, damn you, or something like that, or billah, something of that nature, that you might means something benign but there's a consequence as a written because of what it is that you said or uh, that you say something else very hurtful we have to be very careful about what it is that we say because we don't know what's going to be answered by Allah in any given moment and our prophet taught us sallallahu alaihi wasallam and what that means is al-bala is tribulation and muwakkal here means that tribulation is associated with the words that we utter. So mantiq is what you say. And oftentimes we say certain things and a bala, a tribulation comes to us because of things that we've said. 
And um, sometimes we give our own selves ein. You can actually give your own self ein. Most people think it's other people giving you ein. You can actually give your own self ein. You can actually say things that harm your own self or harm something that happened as a result of you attributing it to yourself as opposed to thanking Allah Tabarakwa Ta'ala for it. Anyhow, we have to be careful about what it is that we say and restrain ourselves in the moment. And one of the Salihin one time was speaking to a parent who this parent had a habit of making dua against her child. And this parent went then and complained to this righteous person. And once, upon asking her that whether she made dua against her child or not, and she affirmed, he said, Anti afsaddi. You are the one that ruined your own child. With your duas, making duas against them. And I know some people might think like, what kind of parent would ever make dua against their children? No parent in their right mind. But when you're pushed to the limit, you're stressed out, you're... All these other things are happening, and then your child, and then sometimes it comes out. And it's like uttering the word like for divorce. Whether you're angry or whether you're not, whether you're hungry or whether you are not, what, it doesn't matter. Unless you're Mejnoon, then it doesn't count. When you utter a word, you utter a word. And so it's not like, oh, you were. Angry when you made that dua against him, so it's not going to count. Allahu uh, a'lam. It, it's likely too that uh, be answered, uh, even if someone is angry. So, teaching us proper ways to control ourselves. So, when that what he refers to here as the nur al-aqal, which is really beautiful, the light of the intellect, it starts to peer around this time of the age of discrimination. It's a new stage. They're able to understand more. Yes, they're not like a 10-year-old. They're not like a 13 or 14-year-old that now has become legally responsible. They're not like a 20-year-old, but it's now started. They can understand more. There's more that you can explain to them at this point. And this is what the Sharia has made, the time to now teaching them to pray. And when the Prophet ﷺ used the word command, the word command there doesn't simply mean pray. No, that's not what it means. It means in the broadest sense that you teach them prayer. So right when they reach the age of seven, this is when you start teaching them the correct way to do tahara. And imagine if the child by age, starts at age seven, learning how to make wudu, learning how to clean themselves, all of the matters that relate to tahara, how are they going to be by the time they come of age? That's going to be second nature. They're going to know all of that. And you don't have to go into intense detail, but you show them what is the correct way to make wudu. How do they clean themselves after using the bathroom? Things of this nature. And you can start it a little bit before, but now the training becomes a little bit more formal at age seven. So when we talk about prayer, it's not just prayer. It's also tahara. This is where we want to start teaching them. Okay, that if you have a bloody nose and you get blood on your clothes, this is how you clean your clothes off, and so forth and so on. And teaching them the rules of najasa, of filth, and tahara in general, all of which are prerequisites for the prayer. And then teaching them a little bit about the prayer. 
which includes the whole idea of encouragement. It includes the whole idea of making prayer beloved to them, just as it includes the rulings as well. And you start with the most important things, which, is, which are the obligations. And then you move after that slowly over time into more and more details of the sunan and the recommended measures of prayer. And it's also at this age where, uh, at age seven, if the child is strong enough that you encourage them to fast a few days of Ramadan. And this is the Shafi school. In some schools, uh, they differentiate between fasting and prayer, but in the Shafi school, they, they do not. And I would just make the, ca- the caveat being, if they're strong enough. If they're strong enough, they should be encouraged. And if they can't do a whole day, they could do a half day. Or they could do three quarters of a day. Or they could do it until they come home from school or something of that. Getting them used to fasting is also a good thing. And even though they're not legally responsible, this is where you start teaching them some of the etiquettes. The etiquettes that are specific to, to boys, the etiquettes that are specific to girls. So for boys, that we teach them things like gold rings are not for boys. Boys, it's permissible for them to wear silver rings. They mentioned this specific example. Uh, for girls, that we teach them the permissibility of gold jewelry. And then for boys, we teach them, for instance, silk is not a fabric that boys wear. This is something that is permissible, though, permissible though for women. We start to introduce to them as well the uh, various rulings of the sacred law slowly. So we don't just sit them down and list, this is haram, this is haram, this is haram, this is haram. Um, we need to be very careful of having everything a haram type approach. But when the time arises, we should take everything that happens as an opportunity to teach a lesson. So, your kids are going to lie. But instead of panicking, my God, my kid lied, what? Right? Use it as a teaching opportunity. Where that's a time you need to be very firm. That's a time where you teach them a lesson. So use the mistakes that they make and try to preempt some of it through teaching. But when a mistake happens, don't panic. We live in the United States of America. No matter how much you protect your children, they will be exposed to the vast majority of things that are out there. No matter what you try to do to prevent it. even like, It's so pervasive that it will reach them to some degree. So we can't 100% fully shelter them, nor can we throw them out to the wolves. We have to find that nice balance of somewhere in between, protect them as much as we can. That's the foundation of preserving the fitra. But at the same time, giving them the tools that they need to navigate the situations that they will find themselves in. And that requires consistent communication. That requires that you are very hands-on in their tarbiyah at every stage of their life. So that as they experience things, when they become teenagers and have a falling out with one of their friends or something, or something goes wrong with one of their teammates or whatever else, you can counsel them through that. You can guide them through that. And they will be very appreciative, uh, even if they don't show it right away in the long term. So things of this nature, we teach them about what is permissible to eat, what is not permissible to eat, and so forth and so on. Uh, and so this is one of the first things that we. This is one of the first things that we do. Um, but once they reach age seven, a lot of those details that I just mentioned, the very first thing that we do 
is that we explain to them the meaning of La ilaha illallah. That is what actually comes first. We explain to them the meaning of La ilaha illallah. And I would include on top of that, we should encourage them to say it often. Maybe get them a nice subha, maybe do something nice for them, encourage them to say it 40 times a day, 100 times a day, or something of that nature. Encourage them to say La ilaha illallah as much as they can and get them used to doing that. And then after the shahadatain, the next thing that we teach them is basic biographical information of Rasulullah. So you teach them the absolute basics of what they need to know about the Prophet Now again, you might have actually done this before. So this is just, if you haven't done it by age 7, this is when you definitely do it. And if you've done it before, khair. And as you all will, as you all know firsthand, children are sponges, especially in those early years. You expose them to learning, and they just absorb. The best time to learn is in those early years, especially with memorization. And unfortunately, in our society, for the most part, memorization is not valued the way that it was in a traditional society, as it was valued for transmitted sciences. It's not a valued commodity, but memorization is very important. And even outwardly, that if you have a good memory, you're going to be much more likely to be successful on standardized tests with a good memory than you would that if your memory is poor. Because a lot of it is simply, yeah, some of it's comprehension, but a lot of it is simply memorization. And you can really work on those skills from the time that they are young. And so you tell that child basic biographical information about the Prophet ﷺ, such as he was born in Mecca and Muqarramah, this is where he became a prophet, that he migrated to Medina and Munawwara, and this is where he returned to Allah, this is where he's buried. You teach them to memorize his name, is Sayyidina Muhammad bin Abdullah bin Abdul Muttalib bin Hashim, if eventually that you want to go beyond that where they memorize his what we know of his lineage, that he's from the tribe of Quraysh, things of this nature, and very general things about his sending, where you inculcate this in them, where they come to know Rasulullah. Of all of the things that they will come to know, nothing is more important than them knowing Rasulullah We must teach our children about the Prophet we must mention the Prophet's name often in our homes, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. And basic biographical information about him and about what it is that he did, his mission, and his blessed companions. And then we that reaffirm that throughout their lives, going into more and more detail. So then the author goes on to say, and here he's going to speak about the importance of having our children be in the company of blessed people. Now, eventually he's going to speak about the children's friends and their companions. So first he's speaking about the importance of children being in the company of elders, of scholars, of wise people, of righteous people. This is a very, very important part of their training. And 
unfortunately that we live in a day and age where once they get used to devices and Fortnite and whatever else that they're playing or watching and videos or whatever sort, uh, boys and girls alike, um, these things, nothing harms this more than that. Where they reach the point where like they don't want to go visit grandma and grandpa. All they want to do is play video games. They won't actually get up and go that greet someone because all they want to do is play video games. This is really, really serious. And nor do they want to go with you and spend time with you because all they want to do is play video games or all they want to do is uh, sit home and watch a movie or watch some series or listen to music or whatever. Um, we have to do our best to combat that because it's very important to interact with different types of people. And um, the Prophet in one hadith, Sallallahu Alaihi mentioned three different types of people. He mentioned the kubara, which are the elderly. He mentioned the ulama, which are the scholars. And he mentioned the hukama, which are the wise. And he taught us, Sallallahu Alaihi to sa'ilul ulama, ask scholars questions. Wa jalisul kubara, and sit with the elderly. Wa khalitul hukama, mix with the wise. So the Prophet is teaching us to interact with different ages. There's so much that children can learn and should learn just by being in the gathering. And once they reach the age, yes, when they're really young, of course, it makes it a little bit difficult when you're in gatherings because kids, when they're really young, want to move around and all kinds of things and it's harder to get them to sit quietly and so forth. And that's normal. That's just part of their being that age. But we should, as they get a little bit older, teach them to sit properly, teach them to sit for extended periods of time. And uh, we should teach them to sit upright, teach them to sit with their legs crossed. Uh, And the older children, when we're in the gatherings here, we should all collectively that teach them not to lean on their elbows or lean up against the back of like uh, something or something. If they're young, that's different. But we should all collectively reinforce that tarbiyah, where no, they're expected to sit properly, sit in a dignified way, and you know, not be putting their fingers in their ears or whatever else and fidgeting and all that type of thing. And um, again, when they're young, we have mercy on them. That's normal. But as they get older, and there's more details coming when it comes to this, when it talks about them clearing their throat and the way that they blow their nose and things of that nature. There's all there's important etiquettes in all of this in terms of how we do these human things that we, of course, are going to do so that our kids have adab. And we should teach them to keep their fingernails clean and things of that nature and their ears clean and all of these types of things. Uh, and this is all a part of adab. But that's coming at a later time. Now the discussion really is, as he says here, وَلْيَلْتَزَمْ فِعْلَ الْكِرَامَ الْأَوْلِيَاءَ الْمُتَّقِينَ الصَّالِحِينَ الْأَصْفِيَاءَ And what he says here is, is that, and he should adhere to the acts of the noble ones, the saints, the righteous doers of goods, and the pure ones. All these categories of people. Kiram are like noble people. Awliya are saints. And muttaqin are people of piety. الصَّالِحِينَ the righteous. الْأَصْفِيَاءَ the pure. All of these different types of people. These are the type of people that we want them to be exposed to. Now, they might not be able to spend all day, every day with them. However, 
we need to expose them. And this is one of the biggest problems in the celebrity culture that we have that still to this day is oftentimes conference-based and focused, or if not conference-based and focused, seminar-based and focused. There's good in these things. However, where's the tarbiyah? Where's the day-to-day interactions? If you think about traditional societies, the two main ones I lived in were in West Africa, in Mauritania, and in Tarim, and in the Yemen. There are regular opportunities throughout the week, multiple opportunities for young men and young women to interact with special people. And they learn how to be just by being in the gathering, even without formal teaching. And one of the amazing things, if you've ever asked yourself, if you think about it in this regard, think about the good traits that your own parents have if they grew up outside of the United States of America, whether they're from, wherever they're from. And where did they learn that from? How did the deen affect those local cultures so much that all of that adab was taught without formal instruction? How did your parents become so generous? How did they become so hospitable? Did anyone tell them, you need to be generous, you need to be hospitable? No, you learned that at home. They learned that from their parents, who learned that from their parents. How did you know that modesty was important? How did you know that certain things were aib? You just don't do that. They learned that at home. And it's amazing how that was transmitted. And that a lot of good can be transmitted without formal instruction. Formal instruction has its place. But this is one of the big mistakes that a one of the big mistakes that a good percentage of parents make is that they think it doesn't matter anything else that I do with my child, I'm just gonna throw them into an Islamic madrasa, quote unquote, Islamic madrasa, and everything's gonna work out. No, it does not work like that. They can learn, yes, but tarbiyah has to be reinforced at every single level. And it starts at home and it starts with the parents. Um, But we should, to the extent possible, bring our children around good people. And to the extent that they are available. But we should also, they should also have a very close relationship with their grandparents. They should have a very close relationship with elders in the community. And they should learn the etiquettes that go along with it. And they should also know that the people that they have religious questions, who it is that they can ask and what it is and how and so forth and so on. So he goes into a lot of detail about that. And um, in the commentary, there is a lot of traits that we learn from being with these people and um, anyone that spent time with their grandparents will remember amazing things about them even in the latter years of their life and I for instance remember um, and even though my grandparents were not Muslim there was definitely good traits that they have I remember my grandfather even though toward the latter part of his life he was fairly wealthy he was incredibly detached from the world he wouldn't ever he would wear the same clothes like every single day and my grandmother I just have these images of my grandmother going in his name was Herman Bush Voigt and she would go in and say Bush change your clothes you need to get new clothes and like she'd have to like force him to wear new clothes and I would like have to force him to and like hard working my grandfather my god 
like in his 90s, he, he had a farm that he worked on. And I remember I'd go visit him from time to time and like half a day, I'm like, I'm done. Like, take me home. And he'd bring me home, go back and work till the evening. Hard working. These are traits that we can, uh, that, that we can learn from and, and so forth and so on. In terms of eating, that he had a rule that there was, you know, this is of course the Midwest. So this is uh, Kansas. They have supper at a certain time and everybody at the family is at the dinner table. And there's no television on. And you do not leave a speck of food or juice on your plate. He would not let any of his children get up from the dinner table unless everything was cleared from the plate. They would have bread and they would mop everything up. And then that's it. Then they could let go. These are good things that we learn from them. That we have to help uh, that trans, uh, transmit to the next generation. So... Now he's going to speak. Okay, excuse me. So what, what happens when you spend time with good people is that you start to be like them. And he should definitely sit among them so that his nature becomes like theirs. The Arabs say, Manjalis Janis. When you sit with people, you become like them. A, you become from their gents. You, come like, you become like their genus. You can't be around people without being affected. Even if you don't fully follow them, you will start to take on their traits. If you spend enough time with people, you will become like them. And that's really the idea. And especially uh, righteous people, they plant seeds. They plant seeds in younger people that then will bear fruit in due course. And he should firmly plant in his heart that which he hears, or literally let that be planted in his heart, so that his nature becomes like theirs. So this is another way of saying uh, what was mentioned before that. Something's being planted in the heart when you sit before special people. And yantabe is the word that you use for like an image that is being reflected in a mirror. It's that which becomes a part of their taba, a part of their nature, and a part of their character, and how it is that they are. And then he's going to go on to discuss what are called the suhbat al-dad. So the al-dad is the plural of the word did, and did could be used in Arabic as opposite. The opposite of something. But then you also call them Adad, which is also the word you'd say like the opposites. In other words, this is a um, kind word for saying bad influences on your children. They're called Adad. And it's the plural of Did. So he says, وَيَحْتَفِظْ بِهِ عَنِ الْجُهَانِ this translates as, and so I, uh, this time I'm not really going too much into the commentary here. For those that have the book, I, I really would review it. There's a lot of beneficial points that are brought out that you can use for your reference and for uh, further benefit. So again, we, this we started on page 75 where we reviewed rifq and gentleness. And then he speaks a little bit about 
the lines that we just spoke about briefly, and he has his own reflection and some discussion points after that. And now this is about keeping good company. So this translates as, by it he will be preserved from the ignorant ones and all the people of iniquity and error. So it, what, what, what he means here is, we should, we should preserve our children and we should protect them from being around people that are going to harm them. Now, of course, this has to be done in a balanced fashion. And of course, that we don't want to offend other parents or other people. So it's a balance. And all of us know what this means in relation to family. We all have family members of different types. Some of us have family members that are not Muslim, which sometimes is more difficult, but other times it's actually easier. Some of us have that family members that are Muslims that sometimes it's more overboard and makes it more difficult and on, in other ways that it's actually easier. So it really depends on the situation. And what we have to strive towards here is balance. Because you can't, if you have not, if your husband or the husband's wife has non-Muslim family members, you can't prevent family members from seeing children. At the same time, you can't let them harm your children in any way. So it's finding that balance. And uh, sometimes you're in a situation where a non-Muslim relative has to actually live with you. What do you do then? There's a lot of considerations here, but the golden rule here is balance. And that part of that balance is a submission to the divine decree internally. Which is, again, I said we're going to keep coming back to this. This is worth mentioning in every single lesson on educating and raising children. This is really one of the golden principles of all that every single one of us has to simply hammer into our hearts. We cannot oppose the divine decree through our children. We can't. You can do you are required to do everything that it is that you can do outwardly and inwardly and that's it. Your guide, their guidance is not in your hands. You could be the best parent of all. You could be raised as in, with Allah. You could be the best parent of all and your child goes astray. It's not in your hands. It is not in your hands. Or you could be the worst parent of all and your child turns out to be from the awliya. And they're from the awliya and you actually that have a very difficult hisab reckoning because of bad parenting. Both are possibilities. And what we are taught is balance. So you can't separate family from seeing your children unless it reaches the point where it's a necessity out of some grave situation, which is extremely rare. That's extremely. There are very extreme situations where uh, that might be the case. Um, um, let, let's just say that um, one of the parents is, you know, a, a severe drug addict or something like that. And going over to the house, there's people that are very shady. You're putting your children in danger by even going there. That's one thing. Or that you, you fear that uh, maybe one of the parents has some type of anger problem that you fear physically they have a history of whatever it is. Yani, um, there are certain situations where in that case, yes, you can avoid them. 
But the vast majority of situations are not like that. It's shades of it. You might have Muslim family members that just aren't really practicing or practicing like you're practicing. Or you might have non-Muslim family members that are good people in general but just have the way about them. And they all, almost all of them have phones and the stuff that they watch and the language that they use. So it's that fine line. And those of us that have to go on family vacations with non-Muslim family members, uh, it's, you have to be careful in terms of how you navigate that. And there's a way, and I think we spoke about this before, so I don't want to uh, be redundant or repeat myself. But um, there's a lot of balance that is, that is required there. But we have to preserve our children to the extent possible. We don't want them to be around, and these are traits of people that people of jahl, of ignorance, people of fisk, which is a really type of, really like bad religious behavior. In dalal is misguidance. We, we have to preserve our children to the extent possible. And then he mentions some other traits of people. وَمَنْ عُرَفْ بَالْكِذِبِ and those known for lies and deception and those who cannot be trusted. So it's very important for the parent to be aware of those people their children are around. Do some of these other children lie? Are they deceptive? Are they trustworthy? Are they not? Are they helping their children get in trouble? Are they not in, you know, this is very important to be a part of this, to, to be very active in this. And as children get older it does become more and more, more, more difficult because they develop their own personalities, they develop their own inclinations, and they see them as their relationships. And um, so it, it's not always an easy thing. And at the same time, part of balance is recognizing there's no perfect child. And a shabab shu'batun min janun that being young is a branch of uh, insanity. Young people are insane in any time. And we all know our own selves in our teenage years. And every single one of us has a history, even those that were raised Muslim. You could say things, you know things that you've done and whatever movie you watched or you know, band or that you used to listen to or group that you used to follow, whatever. Everyone's done things that they know very well were crazy. Um, so we have to also be very patient and realistic. And sometimes it's a matter of choosing the best of those available as opposed to some ideal companion that actually does not even really exist. Um, and then at the same time, we have to also be very careful not to offend other people. Um, and at the same time, this is why there's so many dimensions to this. There's so many dimensions to this. Everybody should be open to advice. And especially in a community-like setting, people should be very flexible and people should be very open to best practice, best practice in terms of raising children and always increasing as opposed to this is my way, this is the only way and being very rigid. That doesn't work, especially in a community-like setting. We should all be very open to uh, helping each other and people have different temperaments, they have different parenting styles. But if it's going to work collectively, there has to be an openness. And we can't be people that are offended by everything. And sometimes people are just simply way too sensitive. Like we're way too sensitive. We have to get beyond 
this childlike sensitivity. We're adults. And just because someone points something out doesn't mean that they think this or that, right? We have to be mature. And in fact, we should actually listen very carefully because maybe something they said is actually of benefit. And if we consider what they say, we should be mature enough to actually thank them regardless of what's in their heart, whether it's out of spite or whether it's out of goodwill. It doesn't matter. We should consider everything that people say. And if we were like this, a lot of the chitter-chatter and this and that and these things that happen with relationships would simply not be there. So, we should look at the traits of the, the, the young people, uh, of the people that are spending time with our children and be very careful that they're around the best children possible, that are like-minded. And it's good to nip things in the bud. Children, one of the major ways they're impacted is by other children. This is why we have to spend time with our children. We have to spend time talking to our children so that some things can come up and you can nip it in the bud. And obviously, every conversation that they have and every idea that they take on, you simply can't, uh, you know, you, you, you can't speak about everything that they're exposed to. It's impossible because they're exposed to, you, 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 you know, once they reach a certain age, how much time do you actually see your kids? They're in school from morning until evening once they reach a certain age. You see them 30 minutes in the morning, a couple hours at night, and a little bit on the weekend. So you only have a limited amount of time, but uh, hopefully through general exposure and then doing what you can in terms of the specifics, uh, they, they will be pointed in the right direction. So then he says, فَإِنَّ أَصْلَ أَدَبِ الْأَخْيَارِ هِفْضُ السَّبِي أَنْ سُحْبَةِ الْأَشْرَارِ So this is one of the foundational principles of raising children. For the foundation of the manners of the elite is protecting the child from the company of the evil. That's the way he refers to it. الأشرار, the evil. Now, we surely shouldn't refer to other people's kids as evil, but he's emphasizing the point. The foundation of the adab that the righteous have is what? The preservation of those children from being with bad companions that will lead them in the wrong direction. And our children, for the most part, are innocent to certain things and they find out about certain things. A certain link that they shouldn't be following, a certain song that they shouldn't be listening to by other people. Whereas if they weren't around that person, they simply would not have been exposed to that. And, um, uh, but again, even when we come to know that they're exposed to certain things, nip it in the bud, yes, but also speak to them, especially as they get older. When they're younger, it's more of a one-way conversation. It's more of a monologue. But when they are older, you have to appeal to their reason. You have to appeal and get them to understand why, not just this is how it is. This is how it is works to a certain point. But then after that, you really have to appeal and explain to them why this is the case. And usually, the vast majority of children will be open to that. But if, if the, there's a lot of demagoguery from the parent and just going, this is how it is. No, don't think like that. Right? That doesn't work at a certain age. You have to appeal to their reason and talk with them and to get them to be convinced of it. Because in the end, 
as they get older, you can never enable them to do wrong. You can't. So as long as you're supporting them, as long as you're paying their bills, you can't enable them to do wrong. So if you know that by giving them a phone that they're doing haram, you can't do that before Allah. You can't because you're enabling them to do haram. Now, if you prevent them and you take all the measures and they somehow are still doing things that they shouldn't be doing, that's not on your shoulders. Your goal is by the time they become independent and they leave the household, whether they be a boy or a girl, they have the principles that they need to, to live their life. And that's what you're responsible for. Now what they do after with their own money on their own time, that's not on you unless that you fell short in terms of teaching them what was right and wrong. Um, but while they are still living in your household, you can't enable them to do wrong. And there's certain situations that become sticky, where it becomes shades of gray, and these are the most difficult situations of all, where you have to do the lesser of two evils. There's no good. It's not about good choice, bad choice. It's like bad choice and worse choice. Those are the most difficult situations to deal with. And may Allah protect us from those. So he's explaining what happens. So for nature steals nature for nature steals nature. And whosoever accompanies the rotten one has lost. So the tiba' is the plural of tiba. It's it's your tabi'a, it's your nature. It's how you are. So literally, your nature steals from the nature of other people. And it's a type of halal that heart pickpocketing that if in it works for good but it works for bad the nature in a sense steals the nature of the ones that they are spending time with and that you the word he uses here is law if you are around people that are khabith that are lowly or evil or rotten at their core is that that you'll go astray you'll be lost وَقَدْ أَتَى نَصٌ عَنَ الرَّسُولِ بِإِنَّ طَبْعَ الْمَرْئِ كَالْخَلِيلِ And surely text has come from the messenger that the nature of a person is that of his intimate companion. And so this is a hadith that you and I all know where the Prophet ﷺ said الْمَرْءُ عَلَى دِينِ خَلِيلَهِ That man, and this of course includes women, men and women, are on the deen of their khalil. So this is not just a sadiq. This is not just a friend. This is a very close friend. Your closest of friends. The way that you determine someone's deen is to look at their closest friends. Because it's virtually impossible for two people to be super close and not be similar in relation to their religious approach and their deen. It's virtually impossible that... This is the greatest measure of a person is look who their close friends are. So when we're considering people, who are they close to? Who do they spend time with? What are the traits of these people? We should all be aware of this. Um, And at the same time, when we help choose the right companions for our children, we also at the same time don't want to fall into the mistake of saying bad things about other children unnecessarily. 
teaching them to have a bad opinion of other people. So when you would rather than be around one person more than the other, you have to be very careful how you frame that. Right? You don't necessarily tell those children, don't be around him, that person's bad. That person's like this, that person's like that. Right? If there's a need to clarify something specifically, you speak about that thing without mentioning of the name. And only when there's an absolute need to mention the name of the person do you do it. All of these adab uh, create balance uh, in this situation. So inshallah, I think that's uh, enough for, for the text. We can open it up for about 10 minutes of, of Q&A if there is any. This section was pretty straightforward. It was it was really about companionship and what we want to expose our children to. And the only other thing I would say here is, uh, if someone would ask, and this is the same case for the adults, okay, I don't know who the righteous are, I don't have gatherings of remembrance in my locality, what do I do? Um, this is where um, that you can do things on your own in your home, first and foremost. And secondly, uh, we should have a regular reading of stories of the righteous or telling of stories of the righteous so that the next best thing after companionship in meetings in person is stories of the righteous and getting them used to that. Getting them used to stories of the companions of the Messenger of Allah, stories of the male and female companions, stories of the tabi'in um, and having like an outline of great imams throughout the ages that we want them to know. Right? All of our children should know the names, of course, of the great companions. The Prophet, it goes without saying, وسلم, they should know the names of the wives of the Prophet. وسلم. They should know the names of that Sayyidina Abu Bakr and Sayyidina Umar and that ideally that other key companions, they should know their names. Uh, and we should expand upon that over time. But also, the great Imams of the Deen, like Imam Abu Hanifa, Imam Malik, and so forth, and some of the other great names of like Sheikh Abdul Qadir Jilani, Imam Abu Hassan Shadri, and um, you know, maybe that's something that uh, Ustad Amjad and I can work on for the Madrasa and for everyone else's benefit. After that, uh, Imam Haddad in his Qasida called the Ainiya uh, that Habib Ahmed Zain Habshi commented on. He lists some of the, the, the great people of Islam from the early period. And if we would just get those names and uh, then have a process whereby which we mention these names to that our children, we want them knowing the names of these people, Imam al-Bukhari, Imam Muslim. And when they hear those names, they should be filled with love and filled with awe for their contributions of the deen. And bring it down into the time in which we live. They should know the names of the great teachers of our time. And um, when they see us mentioning those names with reverence and with love, that will also come to their heart. And for instance, the son of Imam Ahmed ibn Hanbal used to hear Imam Ahmed make dua for Imam Shafi'i after every single prayer. Now imagine that. You're Imam Ahmed's son. And your father's the Imam of Ahlul Sunnah and Jama'ah of his time. And after every prayer, he hears him 
making dua for Imam al-Shafi'i. Here's that name, al-Shafi'i, 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 over and over and over again. What's that going to do? It's going to make his son be in awe of this great Imam and want to connect to him. And one time his son asked Imam Ahmad uh, that who is Imam al-Shafi'i that you're constantly making dua for? And he looked at me and says, Ya walidi, that Imam al-Shafi'i is like كالشمس للدنيا وكالآفية للبدن هل لأحدهما عوض He said that Imam al-Shafi'i is like the sun to the world and like well-being to the body. Can you do without these two things? In other words, that he's praising him in a certain way with hyperbole of course. Talking about his importance to the deen. Imam Shafi was <coughs> the mujaddid of his century, uh, of the second Islamic century. After Imam Umar bin Abdulaziz being the mujaddid of the first Islamic century and his contributions in usul and fiqh and, and other uh, that scholarly realms is why this was the case. But the point here being, look at how that impacted uh, that the son of Imam Ahmad. Also, the, the famous story that we have about the Rihlat al-Maghrib al-Tarim, the Moroccan who went on a visit to Tarim. Why did he go on that visit? Because throughout his life he heard his father mention the people of Tarim over and over again, over and over again. And every time that he would mention something about them, he would end by saying, وَهُمْ بِالْمَلَائِكَةِ أَشْبَهِ And they are more resembling of angels. Or you could just simply say, it is as if that they are angels. He would hear him say that time and time again, time and time again. And what happened was, he wanted to, oh, I need to go there. So one day, after performing the pilgrimage, he actually went and visited. And then, contrary to his father, who just told stories, he actually documented his trip and explained how it was and the people that he met and so forth and so on. And that's still that narrative is still with us here today. But all of that came from his father... Uh, mentioning those things about the blessed city of Tarim, and this is how we should be in relation to Medina Munawara, in relation to Mecca and Mukarramah, in relation to Quds al-Sharif, in relation to special people of our time, special places of our time, so that our children that long for these places when we mention them. Any uh, quick comments or questions? Marhaba. Mm-hmm. To any street. It could be like anything that's on there and they're watching the commercial. It could be anything, right? Mm. So I've been trying to find the balance of allowing them to watch some screens, but then then the struggle would come with when if they see something that's not I'm not okay with, for instance, like they had a cartoon on about Halloween and I didn't know, um, then I explain to them, you know, like we don't celebrate it, it's not a Muslim holiday, et cetera. Right. Yeah, um, so if it makes you feel any better, all of us, every single one of us in this room are probably going through that same exact situation. 
Um, and it just gets harder when they get older. Um, all, I think every single one of us in the room are, 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 are going through that. And um, you know, I think especially when they're young, it really is helpful at times. Um, when you expose them to... Uh, I know some people take the approach of absolutely no screen time. If someone can accomplish that and they don't think there's going to be uh, like backlash, I respect people that, that, that choose that path. Um, I, I think for the vast majority of people, um, minor exposure, very limited exposure uh, to things of benefit. Um, and then at times during that exposure, parents actually watching with the kids. So, you know, it's like I, I've had people in my family say, it's like, what do you mean? It's PG or it's only, it's PG-13. Why can't? But even in PG, even in PG-13, it's filled with stuff that's just foul, right? Even with PG, you know, and, and it could be, you know, things that other people don't think of them as foul, but like a sister in the, is just really mean to her gross little brother or whatever, or the child smarts off to the mother or, the, yeah, any things for us which are like, Kabair. People think, oh, it's not a big deal. Like for us, right, you taught them how to smart off your mind. That's a kabira. That's a major sin. So the point is, like, those things mean nothing to us. PG, PG 13, let alone anything beyond that, right? So it's like, what I found though is, if in that limited screen time, that if that's the decision that's made, sometimes you, the parent has to watch as well. And just very subtly, if something bad happens, you just go, Auzu billah, or like or the commercial comes on, you just auzu billah, or you know, oh, that's yani scary, or that's you know, you 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 indicate something to them, so they then associate that with Halloween or that bad thing that happened or whatever else, and um, then if that's reinforced, now that takes a lot of time on the parents' end, because sometimes we use that screen time as like, okay, I can relax and actually. You know, get a drink of water instead of, you know, deal with clingy kids my whole, all day long. Um, but I, I do think we, we, we have to. So, um, uh, again, I would say that the answer really is in the question. It is balance. But balance is difficult. So the, the problem is, the answer is difficult is really the problem. And it takes time. But I, I would say that that for the vast majority of people, limited exposure to things that are actually beneficial, there's some type of benefit in doing so, and then some part of that the parents actually take part in, and then if possible, having open conversations with family members if they're open to it. Um, sometimes that's hard. I mean, I can't tell you the amount of, you know, Christmas or Eid presents that we receive, like it's their Christmas, but they just give them, and it's like that, you know, I can't tell you how many DVDs I've had to like hide or just, you know, just make seem to no longer be there. And because and, and, at the same time, like your mother or father or family member, like just gave you a gift. And so you can't like, you can't be like, what is it? Like you can't, you see, it's hard because it's like they just gave you a gift. Right? I can't tell me how many clothing items we've had to just subtly just like when no one's looking like, hmm. Let's put this here, right? Things that are just inappropriate. And it's like, it's that balance. And the, the hard thing is, is like when they come visit, like, 
Oh, where's that DVD that I gave you? Um, right? So, but, you know, we, you have to because you can't just let them, you know. So, um, and I think the more we can also develop the relationship with the parent or uh, the grandparent or the relative where we kind of, they know kind of a, in the general guidelines of what is accepted. So there's a time, there's, you have to be firm on one hand, but you don't want to be offensive on the other. So it really is kind of finding that balance. And then on family vacation, stuff like that, try our best to preempt them, preempt them. bring games, bring fun activities, kind of, um, it's very easy to become passive in vacations and visits, but we have to remain active, especially, unfortunately, in those times, right? Bring games, bring those type of things and incorporate them to the extent possible into that. Um, and then do your best to try to nip in the bud any bad that comes from it. But know to some degree, even when you do all that, when you visit relatives and things, it's going to happen. And I think that's where we, we can't panic and show bad other when that does happen. But we have to still do our best. I, I don't know if that helps, but you know it, it is it is difficult. So, yeah. It, would anyone else like to add to that conversation about things that they have done that can help in that regard? Or? Yeah, please. Yeah, whether it's cars or whether it's yeah something that they <coughs> like. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so One click away. Yeah. Allah protect our children. Allah protect our children. We we should really uh, be making du'a for our children after every single prayer. Every prayer. Ya Rabbi, Allah. Allah protect them. Like really. 
Allah protect them in this crazy world in which we live. Ya Allah. Any other comments or questions? Khair, inshallah. Jazakallah khair.